When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. It's post-game. It's the Browns losing to the Baltimore Ravens 23-20. It's the Browns dropping 2-2-5. It's Doug Maurice along with Irie Harris and Ashley Bastock. Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot will be along momentarily. But we're going to start with a question that I wanted uh, us, the three of us at the start here, to attempt to answer. And Ashley, I'll start with you. And my question is, what does Kevin Stefanski do? Like what would be the difference of say that you like when you go to like Kohl's, I love Kohl's. I was at Kohl's on Sunday. They always have a great clearance rack. It's where I get most of my clothes. So at at Kohl's or any other uh, store department store, they'll be selling photo frames. And in that frame, there is a photo that comes in the frame. And often it is a handsome family standing on a beach holding a toddler. Right. So say you got, and Kevin Stefanski looks like a guy who would be in a photo frame that you would buy at Kohl's. So what if you got that photo of the Kevin Stefanski looking guy on the beach with his family and you blew it up and made it six feet tall and you pasted it to cardboard and you had that be the coach of the Browns? What would be the difference between that and Kevin Stefanski coaching the Browns? That is like the most convoluted question I think I have ever heard you ask, but I get what you're saying, right? Like my biggest issue with what, what Kevin Stepanski does during games, let's answer that. We all know he calls the plays, right? Like in that, that's his base level, like the most basic explanation of what he does. Um, The problem is the, this offense just still like, isn't really working for the most part beyond the first drive that is scripted. And that's great. And it looked great today. I thought that was maybe like their best drive they've had all year. And then everything went downhill again. Nick Chubb disappeared again. A lot of what he does, I think, like, and we've talked about this, maybe trying to outsmart the opponent to his own detriment. Um, And it's just like nothing is, this was my complaint on the preview podcast, right? It just feels like we talk about the same things every week. The same things are problems every single week. And nothing gets corrected. So to your point, Doug, like I I get why you were asking this question, because we hear the same things, we see the same things. And again, to me, it just feels like this team's identity is waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back. And I think that switch is going to be impossible to flip. And right now, the hole they've dug themselves, I think it's most likely that the end of this season is basically like an extra preseason for 2023, where you see how everything fits around Deshaun. And that's a bleak picture. But that's kind of where they've landed themselves, I think, because the head coach isn't fixing the problems that are there. Irie, when when they drove down the field and scored a touchdown on their first drive, um, 11 plays, 75 yards, six and a half minutes, I, I think I, I think Ashley makes a good point. Maybe the best drive of the year. Did you think to yourself, ah, fixed, the Browns are back. Or did you think, oh, no, that's one drive and like it, that won't happen anymore? 
that was the natural first reaction. But I, you know, after the first six, six games, I think I know not everything, but just enough to tell where I had to tell my brain to, okay, calm it down, said, watch, you know, the next series and the series after the series after. Now, just, yeah. Terrific drive, so fluid. It just seemed so. There just wasn't any. There weren't any moments or any plays where you thought, "Why would you do that?" or "What are you doing?" It was straight, direct, aggressive, as it should be against Baltimore. Was that's a more dynamic offense. They don't get a touchdown next play, but they get a field goal. But then it was after that where it was start to go downhill. Punt, 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 fumble. And then they finally get points again uh, towards, you know, the middle of, of the second half. But it was just definitely a sense of you start off aggressive and with the fluid offense doing what you should be doing, giving the ball to Nick Chubb. They were very aggressive when you came to give it to Nick Chubb. And that's something that not just I've been internally screaming about, but even many other fans and other, I'm sure, media have been speaking about when it comes to that. So the biggest reason for that drive was Nick Chubb. And it seems that from there on, they just kind of just limited him the rest of the game. 16 carries that he only got maybe a, a fourth of those during that first drive alone. Why? He's good on the script. And then once you have to figure out the game while it's happening, they fail. And, and this is in the midst of it. It feels like in the midst of it. And I had said this earlier. I didn't feel like Kevin Stefanski was losing them games, but I did not feel like he was doing anything to win them games. Just like the guy, the cardboard cutout from Coles, I wouldn't lose you games. He just would stand there and be handsome. He wouldn't win you any games. And I think it is a failing of this coaching staff as you get into the nitty gritty of a game where every play matters, where there are adjustments and there are swings and there is momentum and there are penalties and there are big plays. And in the midst of that, Ashley, the Browns always fall short this year. They always, they always fall short, always fall short in the, in the, the ebb and flow of, of what is coaching. And there's a lot of stuff I get it, you know, and then also like the management of like getting your guys ready when you have John Johnson, the third and people saying like, Hey guys aren't working hard enough and stuff. That's also coaching. So also not great, not going great. And like, it just, if he can crank, like if he can study for the Kevin Stefanski, if he has a week to study for the test, he'll study. But the NFL is a pop quiz, like for three quarters of a game. And he is terrible at the pop quiz. And I think there are real questions. It is not. So I thought that I used the word incompetence a lot, like after the Jets loss, like just an absolute collapse, an absolute failing. The cardboard cutout would have found a way to win that game. I don't think this is the same thing. It's not incompetence to me. It's just, it's very generic. It's very blah. It's very, what are you doing that, differentiates you from 500 other people that could have this job and you are not what are you doing kevin stefanski what are you you doing to make the browns better and i don't see it ashley i don't see it and when you have mike tomlin a week ago dial up a game plan for the wretched Pittsburgh Steelers to find a way to beat Tom Brady and the Bucks, I guess it turns out the Bucks stink too. <laughs> but like everybody's like, oh, Tomlin, right? Oh, like we know what that looks like. Yeah. Right. We know what it looks like when a coach motivationally, schematically, 
in the midst of a game adjustments. We know what it looks like when a coach does something. I haven't seen it all season. I have not seen it all season and they should not be two and five, but they are two and five because he's nothing. He's not doing anything more than the cardboard cutout would do. Well, and to your point, like I think in this division, it's extra enhanced, right? Because you have Mike Tomlin and I think John Harbaugh is pretty good at this too. I mean, the Ravens have had their own struggles this year, but obviously these guys are, are longstanding coaches in these, you know, franchises for a reason. And guys love to play for Mike Tomlin for a reason. Um, and, and I agree with you, you know, the point about the NFL is a pop quiz in these games and not a test is really, really, I think, poignant because it's like you said, like you can prepare and do all these things, but when do things go according to plan in these games? You know, once you get past that first scripted drive, you do have to almost be better at at thinking on your feet and adapting and being able to improvise and being creative as opposed to being robotic and sticking to a plan. Like I almost just wish he would be more adaptable and more willing to take risks, which we know he doesn't like doing. Like that is well-documented that he will not take unnecessary risks, but the result is I think a lot of the complaints that we not only heard over this, you know, these first seven games of this year, but for most of last year, like everything was just so predictable by the end of the season, you knew they were going to run their 13 personnel. You knew they were going to be little five and six yard passes to tight ends. You knew Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt weren't going to play together. It, it just got all so predictable. And I think we are trending that way once again. And, you know, too, like we kind of like we talked about last week, some of these things they run where it's like, oh, this would be great if Deshaun's not here. Well, Deshaun isn't here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it would be great if Deshaun was here, but he's not going to be here until the end of the season. So you have to adapt. I don't know that they've done that. I don't know that they did a good job of that in the preseason by not giving Jacoby Brissett first team reps until like practice number 13 or whatever it was in training camp. I just, I do think there are a lot of fair questions that we can ask about this because other coaches, like you said, seem to a fear this out, know how to motivate players, improvise in a game based on their game plan that they put together. And it just doesn't feel like we're seeing that week to week. You guys remember we did the live show in the preseason. I forget the exact location of the name, but it was somewhere on the water, you know, near the flats. And one of the things that I brought up, which I think, you know, the both of you also agree with was when going up against certain teams against certain coaches, that tendency to where he could be out coached. As we said, the pop quiz, the pace pace of the game is not going to go your way the entire time. It's going to change up. How do you adjust to it? And even though there's never been a single game where he's been the the sole reason he got outcoached, that's why they lost, he's never – he's never been able to really efficiently adjust. And actually, I mean, you want to talk about the coaches in this division. You want to talk about John Harbaugh, any, any coach that can win a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco, who had pre, who pretty much disappeared all the way up until a month ago when coming back against us, give major props to, this is a division where if Mike Tomlin had just a tad bit of a better roster, Stavansky probably would have been a coach in that. We saw it was against Harbaugh. I mean, it's to the point where in a couple of weeks, I'm not even sure what to expect when they when they go down to Miami and go to them against first-year coach Mike McDaniel. I'm a little bit scared for that now. It, it, it gives you the question of, do we overrate the quote-unquote office of genius of, of some of these coaches a tad bit? 
do we overrate that a bit or expect too much out of that? Because you're going in with a certain set game plan. It's going like this. This is what's going to happen for a QB, this and that. When you question whether or not using everyone properly the way they should. So, yes, this is like 21 questions now. Just to catch – hey, Dan, just to, you're here now. Just to catch you up real quick, the question was, what's the difference between Kevin Stefanski and a cardboard cutout is, is what we're, we started <laughs> off with here on the pod. Well, so, Did you, yeah, so we yeah, chose yeah. violence today. Oh, yeah. No, I'm in a violent mood. Uh, the, the Did you feel like, Dan, the the thing that we have discussed a, a few times before, again, not that Kevin Stefanski is losing the Browns games, but he's not doing anything to help them win, that this was there for the taking and they didn't take it. They come out with a script and that looks good. And then once you get into the game, it's a punt fest for a while and they could have won and they didn't. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really difficult to defend some of the things that we see every And I think my biggest concern this season, you know, even more so than like, do I think they're running a Deshaun Watson offense for Jacoby Brissett? Um, you know, everybody loves to, to argue about the run pass ratio on Twitter. The thing that worries me is so we go all the way back to the Nick Chubb touchdown against the Jets, right? which was, oh, that was a fun topic and you probably shouldn't have scored and whatever, but the defense gave up two touchdowns, so it was their fault. You know, I mean, last week, Saquon Barkley slid down on like the exact same play. But then there's there's things like the challenge today, which I just, for, for me, sitting in the press box and seeing it, I didn't think he was down. I didn't see a definitive look that showed he was down. Even if he was down, I don't know what you gain by challenging that. And then you lose all this yardage because the Ravens essentially repunt. The first one didn't count. They essentially repunt, and now you're starting inside your 10 yard line. It's things like that where you're supposed to be the smart football team, and you're supposed to be the team that says, you know what, challenging to turn a fourth down into a fourth down isn't really that important. So we're not going to waste it. Even if you're right, even if even if you get the challenge right, those are the little things that are concerning me this year with. with Kevin Stefanski that the last couple of years it's been he's been really smart he's made good decisions he's been really sound in those areas and I feel like some of that is even slipping a little bit I do think a good idea for all of us the buy is coming up in a couple of weeks right if we maybe we could start a running list now and it could be I don't know maybe it's 10 maybe by the time you get to that off week maybe it's 20 or 30 the losingest plays that the Browns made have made so far this season. The things like the losingest that most define a losing team. And, and I have a nominee. I'll, I'll start making the list. Well, just, I'll be the secretary for this. You guys can, we'll shout them out. We'll have a little meeting. We love to have meetings. I, I, I love meetings. I can remember a time when I said, man, I wish I had more meetings in my life. And now I'm in meetings all the time. I love it. Because when you're in a meeting, you can't actually be working. You're just talking about stuff. So I, that's why I love meetings. We have a meeting. The 30 losingest plays the Browns have made so far this season. I nominate this, the third and two throw that Amari Cooper catches for a touchdown, but it's offensive pass interference. And then that leads to now you get pushed back instead of third and two, it's third and 12. And now you wind up kicking a long field goal. And then it winds up being an even longer field goal and the world collapses around you. Ashley, third and two. Was that a brilliant play call by Kevin Stefanski? A deep ball to Amari Cooper that was on target and maybe Amari Cooper didn't need to push off and it would have been a touchdown? Or why aren't you giving the ball to Nick Chubb twice 
there and taking advantage of that was that uh, uh overthinking call on third and two because i have i've heard people say hey it worked it's like no it didn't work because the offensive player got offensive pass interference on the play so like and it clearly was he clearly pushed off you can't complain about the refs so it didn't work ashley what would you think of that call I mean, I didn't really question the play call itself, just given that it was Amari Cooper. Like, I know it, it didn't work because he got the OPI call. Um, and Dan's story was really good, kind of, you know, talking to Amari and and getting that introspection from him. And, and th- that's a kind of play that I think is, like, pretty common that actually, depending on the game situation, could that call could go either way. Like, when I saw the replay, but I wasn't surprised he got called for pass interference. But I, I don't hate that call on the situation because it is kind of aggressive and you have a receiver I think who is capable of making the play even though he got the penalty this time so in the moment I wasn't like what what is he doing why is he calling that or anything and there have been plays like that this year where where we have done that right I mean the fourth and three or whatever it was call in Atlanta where Jacoby Brissett passes it against the end zone wall that doesn't make sense to me and today you know they're in a similar situation and what do they do they go for a Jacoby Brissett sneak. Like it made more sense in that uh, whatever drive that was, the first drive or whatever. Um, but on the Amari play, I wasn't skeptical of the call itself, if that makes sense. What what else do who who thinks that the third and two deep shot to Amari Cooper in that situation was smart, was aggressive, smart, was good? I I actually it? I didn't I didn't mind it. I understand the argument the other way. I didn't mind it. But they clearly believe they had something against Marcus Peters. Um, the, I mean, they they beat him on Don, on the Donovan Peoples-Jones throw earlier on that drive. They pretty clearly had no respect for Marcus Peters, which is understandable because he's Marcus Peters. But, um, you know, it, it is a situation where you put yourself in a bad spot. And even though it is a play that you do probably see every game, you know, Amari just kind of got caught and he got, I mean, it was very clear. I mean, he did it. It was, it was offensive pass interference and he just didn't get away with it. And you could tell after the play, like nobody was arguing, nobody was jumping up and down and yelling at the officials and screaming at him, at least from what I could tell. So, I mean, they, they got it right. Even if it is a play that, you know, a lot of guys get away with regularly. I, I, I did not have an issue with taking a shot there. Um, if they believed Kate York could make that kick from where it originally was. Mary Kay, what'd you think of that third and two shot? You know, I I'm fine with that. I, I never really have a problem with, um, you know, taking a shot and being aggressive in a situation like that, feeling like you're like, you have the right matchup. Uh, this is the, was the 28th ranked pass defense. Uh, and again, against Marcus Peters, they like what they saw there. And sometimes Jacoby takes uh, the shot on his own, it's not necessarily the play called. Um, so, you know, we, we don't know if that was, you know, what was called as the first read on the play or not necessarily, or if that was Jacoby seeing something there and taking it. And that's something that we'd have to kind of ask him again about that. So I can't honestly say, you know, I can't necessarily pin that at this moment uh, one way or the other on, on Kevin Stefanski, just, you know, being, a little bit overly aggressive there uh, because we just don't know the answer to that. Um, but in general, I probably still would not have had a huge problem with it. Um, I, I think it's okay to take a shot there. 
Okay, I have a second question teed up for everybody that now we have the whole group here. You guys can hear Mira K. Cabot has joined us from Baltimore. Um, th- this is, uh, if, if you guys, I, I think you'll know where I'm coming from here. Um, Mary Kay, well, no, who, well, if you just raise your hand, whoever's just feeling it within your body when you hear the question, just jump in. It's open for everybody. And, and if you're listening at home, jump in too and just give your opinion as well. Um, are the Browns bad? Hmm. It's a good question. Uh, it, it's a good question. They, I don't think they're bad. I, I really don't think they're bad, but they can't put a game together. And, you know, I think special teams is bad. I think their special teams are bad. That does not help matters at all. I thought the defense came through with some things today, played better. Uh, I think they're showing signs of life, but they're they're making some bad plays in, in certain situations. I, I think they can still be a decent football team. And I was thinking today when if Deshaun Watson were the quarterback in this team and Jacoby played – well, I thought Jacoby actually played well today, uh, but I still thought there were certain situations in which um, I was thinking, hmm, if that were Deshaun Watson, uh, they would be owning this football game right now. If Deshaun plays the way everybody, you know, if, if Deshaun is the Deshaun that we remember from 2020, I think they would have really kind of run away with this game. Who else wants to jump in? On our scintillating second question, <laughs> are the Browns bad? This feels weird to say it because they have the second worst record in the AFC right now. Um, I don't think they're bad, but they're not good. Like they're just they're just kind of there. I don't they're think just... you're bad, but you're not <laughs> good. Like, yeah, I mean, I Taylor, just... can you imagine actually what Taylor Swift would, would, would do with those lyrics? I don't think you're bad, but you're not good. I love it. <laughs> but Dan, you are you're you're thinly splicing, but with a point there. There is a difference there. Yeah, I mean they are uh, like they're they're not good. They're not they're not a team that belongs in the playoffs. They're not a team that belongs in the division race. They're not they're not any of those things as currently constructed. Um, and in fact, because of that. Maybe I would say not bad, not good, but probably underachieving. Like there's there's too much talent on this team. And I don't care if I don't care if Kate York plays quarterback. There's too much talent on this team for them to be sitting here with the second worst record in the AFC. I mean, as it as it stands right now, Deshaun Watson might come back and he might be playing Houston in week 13 just to determine who's who's got the worst record in the AFC, the, the way this is going. So they're they have more talent than this. So I wouldn't say they're they're bad. I would say they're underachieving, and and that's really disappointing. Do you guys want to hear uh, my encounter with the yelling, screaming locker room? Yeah. So yeah. give a little. Let's give a little background here, Mary Kay and Dan. You guys are in Baltimore. We, we've seen tweets about it. Just give us the context of what you guys heard, h- how you were able to hear it. What's what you're talking about? Well, it sounded like they were performing an exorcism in the locker room. I mean, it was bad. We've all heard screaming coming from locker rooms before to a certain degree. But this was over the top. And it went on and on and on for a while. And I heard the word leadership in there somewhere. I don't know what that was all about. I don't have details. I do. I think 
Uh, it was some of the DBs from what I've heard. I've also heard that Miles Garrett, you know, stepped in and got things kind of calmed down, which I think is good. He showed the leadership to be able to do that. Um, but tempers really, really flared. And, and you know, it was just completely diametrically opposed to what was going on over in the Ravens locker room where they were shouting uh, jubilantly about sticking together and all of that sort of stuff. So um, I thought it was, um, you know, on one hand, it's a concern for players to be sort of, you know, yelling, I guess, at each other. On the other hand, at least they're not apathetic. At least they still have a pulse. At least they're still fighting. At least they still care enough to scream and yell in the locker room. And I, I think that's how I would choose, uh, you know, to my takeaway would be at least they care that much uh, that they're willing to be screaming in the locker room. So there are times when we come on this podcast after a game and we discuss something that just happened and we're trying to decide, well, it happened a lot last year with Baker Mayfield, right? Well, the way, you know, Baker said this after the game or he walked off the field this way. And, and sometimes people react to us and say, ah, you're making too big, big a deal about something. And it has been my experience, Dan, dealing with you people who cover the team so well that a lot of the time when we're immediately talking about something and saying, hmm, I wonder what's up there. Something's up. That the, the initial instinct of like, I don't know, that didn't feel right. So I think, Mary Kay, you make an interesting point. Better better yelling than we don't care. But I also feel like we could be on here like eight weeks from now saying, hey, remember when they were in Baltimore and everybody was screaming in the locker room? And that was that must have been the indication of like, oh, that's why that was the beginning of the team imploding. Dan, that like, again, I, you know, that this is, I don't want to like underplay this thing because it's not the norm and they're two and five and there were loud noises. Yeah. It's, it's a little disconcerting when you're standing in the hallway. And I, so I was not in the media or the press conference room. So I didn't hear the screaming and yelling. I was out in the hallway. It's loud out there. We're not as, we're kind of weirdly not as close to the locker room right next to the locker room door. As, as they are in that press conference room. But um, so so I didn't actually hear that in person, but we were in the hallway for probably 20 minutes after the game to the point where the quote people from Baltimore who go into every visiting locker room are like staring at us like, what's going on? Why is this taking so long? Like, is this normal? It kind of is with this organization, but it's, it's not normal. And I think it's, Probably, like, I, I agree with Mary Kay that at least they care. You know, at least we didn't go in there and it was like smiles and everybody was happy and like, oh, let's get on the plane and go back to Cleveland and have a great time. But it is it is one of those things where it's like, man, it's week eight, week seven, whatever it is. And we've talked about how they can't communicate on defense. They, they're yelling and screaming. They're... Guys aren't watching enough film. <laughs> like there's all these storylines that have cropped up already in the first eight weeks of this season. And there's been more than a few times where I've looked at someone while we're standing around waiting for somebody to talk or or sitting in the media room on a daily basis. And I'm like, man, it's way too early for this. And there's been like five things where it's just it's way too early for this to be happening. And this feels like one of those things. Man, I want to go to Coles. Uh, Ashley, what do you think? Do you think they're bad? So, 
really like Dan's word underachieving, but I also want to just add, like, I wouldn't say bad because they do have talented players individually. They just haven't figured out how to put them together yet, you know? And I think some of that is Deshaun's not here and that's not an excuse, but I do still just feel like on top of being underachieving, they are a team because Deshaun Watson isn't playing yet without an identity or that identity, like I said last week, is waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back. And like you said, it, it's good that they clearly care. They're not like mailing it in uh, in the sense of, well, whatever, Deshaun's going to come back. So these games don't matter. Like that it is somewhat like Barry Kay said, encouraging that they are this upset after this game. But I feel like it just is interesting to Dan's point. Like we heard all throughout training camp that the vibes were different from multiple different people. And like he said, he ran down all those different things. Plus we had a players only meeting after like week two, which again, talk about things that uh, way too early for that to be happening. Um, and it just seems like when there, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I worried about their identity a lot last year too. I remember after the Patriots game last year, which was like middle of the season in November, I was asking them if they felt like they had an identity and no one really had an answer. And I don't know if this team has an identity. Um, I think they had one in 2020, but that's like the last time they had a definitive one. Can I can I add something else that this has been bugging me too? Oh yes, please. Just uh, this just goes along those lines. So, it, like I said, it took us 20 minutes to get into that locker room today, and it just strikes me like Amari Cooper was sitting at his locker, and we walked up to him, and I said, "Hey, you know, can you talk?" He was still in his uniform. Yeah, yeah. He sat stood there and talked to us for three four minutes. Went and took a shower. Then another scrum came and talked to him. The people that weren't in there the first time talked for another three or four minutes. Like, that's such an exception with this team. And I think that speaks sometimes to this team's mindset. And, like, they throw out this tough, smart, accountable thing. But, man, these guys sure get out of that locker room fast sometimes after games. And they sure don't like to be in that locker room during the week. And I think that's a little bit of an inside baseball thing. And I don't want to, like, this isn't media complaining because nobody cares. But those are the sorts of things that it's like, show up, like you show up and sit at your locker and answer questions. Tiny rant over. (laughs) I mean, it's true, Dan, like your point, like, like you said, it's not complaining and saying, woe is us. But it is interesting to kind of get the feel for this team that the guys who come in the locker room are the guys that you do think of as the perennial leaders on this team. You know, the ones who are there consistently, like you said, Amari, he's always in there. Wyatt Teller's always in there. Um, Joel Batonio is always in there. JOK is pretty much always in there. There are other guys, but those are like the ones that come straight to mind. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, it does, it is inside baseball, but I think it does say something about guys being willing to talk and and answer questions and and own up to their mistakes um, externally. Maybe they're doing it internally. We don't know, but it is interesting. And it's more than a pattern now at this point. Sometimes at Kohl's, if you buy two frames, you get the third one half off. So I might go check that out. Irie, we'll end that. Are they bad with you? Are they bad? I had a little bit of time thinking about this while, you know, you guys answered the question and enjoying Dan's little mini inside baseball rants. I think that this is not overall in the case of the term bad when it pertains to sports. I don't put them in a category of them being a bad team, but I think this is, I think this team right now is a good example of how we've used the other term talent so much 
when we and we always used we was using talent a lot in preseason. We've used it a lot after the games when speaking about this team. But I think and I, I've probably said this a couple of times prior too. And I'm taking credit for it. We're just saying this is a good example and a reminder of there being a difference between a team that is talented or talented on paper and an actual good football team, guys that prove and show the camaraderie and brotherhood and teams that are not uh, teams that are just compiled of different talented players combined into one and expected to go out there and go undefeated for crying out loud. I mean, this is, and just to even pertain to when we talk about leadership and wondering who the main guys are that are out there and leading the, you know, the unit, this is combined overall, I believe, still ranked the uh, youngest team in the league. So I think that also pertains a bit to when it comes to their performance and how they react and them being emotionally intelligent. It comes out and shows a little bit. And it may have even shown earlier, just like you guys said, within the locker room and them screaming. And so I mentioned all this to say, at the same time that we said so much about this being a very talented group of players, talented in every element, every area of the game, pro bowlers on defense, pro bowlers on the offense, this is still just a group of guys that have just been looking to get it together. I mean, it's to the sense where you wonder, as Mary Kay was saying earlier in the season, are, are they still getting their preseason games in together? <laughs> That's kind of the question that comes in now. Yeah, I think they're bad. We'll be back after this on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. All right, back in the Orange Brown Talk podcast, Mary Kay has uh, 16 more stories to write, so we're going to get her out of here. I want I want to ask you two things very quickly, Mary Kay. I yeah. think you you texted about this to our Browns Insiders. Man, you guys should be Browns Insiders. Go to clim.com slash Browns, click on the blue banner. You said, you said, and I don't think this is even true. You said maybe you feel like you've been hard on Jacoby Brissett at times. I, I certainly don't think you've been unnecessarily hard on Jacoby Brissett. But mm-hmm. the idea that he's supposed to be a guy who manages the game, doesn't make mistakes, he did complete most of his passes today. You said he played pretty well. It mm-hmm. did feel like to me, I feel, is the clock in his head broken? It felt like he did not feel pressure at all and allowed himself. The strip sack was the worst of it. But like there were moments where it was like, what are you doing? The pocket is collapsing. Where do you think he is in terms of what he should be doing running this, running this offense? Well, certainly uh, the emphasis was, to protect the football coming in. And he needed to do that at all costs. So he did have to be very, very careful with that. And it's not okay uh, to lose a fumble for the second straight week. And the team goes on to score a very costly touchdown off of your turnover. Can't happen. Uh, And so, you know, I, I just think that, you know, he's, he's big enough and he's got, you know, big enough hands and whatever that he shouldn't be fumbling. Uh, you know, he can't let that happen. But speaking about that clock you're talking about, I thought Lamar's clock was way, L- Lamar was doing the same thing to even a greater extent than Jacoby was like, he had no clock in his head, I thought. Um, but yeah, same, same thing with Jacoby. There were times where uh, you, you wondered what he was doing, but he's out there. He's, he's pressing at times. He's trying to make a play. He loses both of his tight ends in the second half. One of his best, his second leading receiver in David Njoku gone. Uh, So they had to change things up. That didn't help matters. And then beyond Amari, from a receiver standpoint, there's just not that much. I mean, I I wrote, you know, I wrote like yesterday or the day before that the three young receivers combined have eight catches. So it gets a little tough. It, It gets a little tough out there when you just don't have a ton of options. So, you know, I don't 
think I, I do think that the turnovers have been extremely costly this season um, for a guy who just wasn't supposed to do that. And I have one more thing I want to ask you before you leave. Okay. And I want to preface by saying everything I know about the NFL, I learned from Mary Kay Cabot. And mm-hmm. you have helped me understand this as I started being around the Browns more when they were tanking and building the young roster and all this. The point that I remade, and they are the youngest roster in the NFL, is that a mistake? Do they need a couple? Could they use a couple 10-year vets in that locker room who are helping from a leadership standpoint, who are guys who play but aren't their best players but would be helping lift this team up in the tough moments? Do they not have enough of those guys? You know, I think there's about – they could use about three more of those guys. There's a couple of positions where they don't have those guys. I feel like they needed another veteran wide receiver for sure. Um, I think that room is lacking that. And I think the statistics are bearing that out. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, right now, Denzel Ward's not out there for them. You know, he's kind of the leader uh, of the cornerbacks and he's out with a concussion. So that hasn't helped them. Uh, I think that the loss of Anthony Walker was huge from a leadership standpoint. And now they're trying to fill that void a little bit with Deion Jones. So yes, I do think uh, in the grand scheme of things, they left themselves short of about four veteran leaders and some of whom, like, I think they need that Sheldon Richardson guy. I think they need that guy that knows the lay of the land and knows the rules of the locker room and knows how to hold a team together and pull a team together when things are going bad. And they've got some, they've got Joel Batonio, they've got Miles Garrett, uh, you know, they've got a few of those guys, but there's not a whole lot of vocal leaders. I mean, even in the, in the running back room, you've got Nick Chubb, he's on the quiet side, Amari Cooper in the receiver room. He's not at like a huge vocal type of leader. Um, so, you know, you don't have necessarily that, you know, the Jarvis Landry's it's contagious, you know, the, that fiery, fiery guy at every spot. I think they could use a few more of those kind of guys. All right, Mary Kay, we'll let you go. We appreciate your insight as always. Can we just maybe talk to the people? Just Mary Kay doesn't have to write nine stories. Mary Kay, do you (laughs) want to write nine stories? You write nine stories all the time. It's okay. You're good at it. I got to rewrite the gamer. I, we do that zero story and then I leave it out there in its, you know, horrendous state until after the pod. And here we are at eight 15 and that thing has been up there and it just, I just can't wait to get back to it and fix it. So that's where I'm going. Uh, it, you care enough to scream, right? That's what the whole I point do. is, right? You're not just silently standing there in the locker room saying, I don't care. All right. Mary Kay Cabot's going to leave us. Dan, I want to get you on this because Dan, it's what you just said about Amari Cooper. What's Amari Cooper, a veteran? And and you think about if this this team, correct, is trying to win right now, should they be the youngest team in the league if they're trying to win right now? Or is this the failing of roster construction? We have talked a million times about how many good young core players in their prime they have right now. Should they have a couple more vets supporting them from a leadership standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from a we know we've been around, we know how to win standpoint. Because as Mary Kay said, Anthony Walker Jr. is gone and it feels like a blue, it blew a hole in the locker room because there's not that many guys like this. Was this a mistake by Andrew Barry? I, I, I think there was an error. And I, I thought Joel Batonio this week brought up a really good point. When he came into the league in 2014, he's a second round pick, and he joined a line that had Joe Thomas, 
Alex Mack, John Greco, and Mitchell Schwartz. Schwartz was still a pretty young guy at the time, but it had those three other veterans. And he really learned a lot coming into the league from those guys. Now, not every position can be like that. And if you try to have every position like that, you're going to have the oldest roster in the league at some point. But I, I agree with Mary Kay. I think there are just certain areas of this roster where there is not there's not the kind of leadership they need. They're just a little bit too young. Or maybe there's a guy who sort of has to take on a bigger leadership role than, than maybe he's normally had to take on. Um, and, and again, I've, I've said this before too. I do think whatever we want to say about John Dorsey's time here, one of the first things he did was he went out and got some grownups. You know, he brings in a guy like TJ Carey, who wasn't old, but he's a guy that had been in the league and you could tell he was a pro and just like, he really helped lead in that room. There were some older guys he brought in that I think helped set a tone in, in certain positions. Now, obviously things ultimately kind of went off the rails for Dorsey and his whole crew, but um, I, I do think it helped initially to have just some grownups in the room. And I don't know if they have enough of those grownups. And, and honestly, if they have the outspoken grownups, maybe yeah. they too, right? Like Amari's pretty, obviously we don't see Amari behind closed doors, but pretty quiet thoughtful guy and i'm not questioning his leadership and saying that. i'm just saying he's a different just a different kind of guy i don't know if he's standing in front of a room telling guys you know yelling the word contagious over and over again ashley i i, I really do feel like i had to learn this from my perspective of leaning really hard on analytics and and that kind of thing and i thought the jarvis landry contract when he got here was kind of big and i did and then like over time um, you saw the value of that. And I know Jarvis's price tag got really high and the production probably didn't make sense anymore for that kind of price tag. But what would Jarvis Landry be doing for this team right now? And I know it felt like last year, maybe Jarvis receded a little bit because the Odell stuff got a little wild and the Baker stuff got a little wild. And maybe Jarvis was kind of caught in between because he had relationships with both those guys. And I, I'm sure he was kind of like, man, I'm, I'm hurt. This is, I'm not the coach. I shouldn't happen to be doing this. But I feel like he'd make a difference right now. I feel like that whatever was going on, the exorcism in that locker room, I feel like might have been a little different if Jarvis Landry was involved. Oh, yeah. I mean, or even just like a guy like Jarvis Landry, you know, now I'll preface this by saying I never like covered really Jarvis Landry. I mean, I covered him for half of a season. And like you said, Doug, it was basically when he disappeared, like because I started the week before the Odell stuff went down. So I think I heard Jarvis talk twice at a podium. But, you know, obviously from just knowing everything that we know about his time here and like we say the contagious speech, like I do just something is missing. And that's not a knock on the guys who I think that we talk about are are leaders currently. Right. But like you look at so many units on this team and they're so young, like the offensive line room feels like the most veteran and the one where there's like the least amount of these problems. And they are led by one of the best position coaches in the entire league in Bill Callahan. So I think certain, like some units, the running backs room too, better off than other units on this team, particularly with age. And I agree with Dan. I mean, it just feels like something is lacking. Something isn't right. Where there's smoke, there's fire. There's been too many of these incidents throughout this season. And we're only through the first seven games now to have players only meetings and arguments in the locker room and, and guys not showing up, you know, in the locker room when they're supposed to be there. That's, there's, it all, you know, it all is related to each other, I think. And 
there is just something missing given the product that's out on the field. So I definitely think they could benefit. And I think sometimes when we talk about analytics and how the Browns love these guys who are younger, I almost wonder if analytically they're outsmarting themselves by not prioritizing that more. And I think when you don't have an iron fist head coach, you need guys like that more. Yeah. Right. If it's, if, if, if a head coach is like, Hey man, like this is it my way or the, this is how we do things here. You can either fit in or fit out and that's it. It's that and balance. They, that's of, not what this is. It's that balance of personalities, you know, and some teams I think are really good at that. And this team, this front office is just not good at figuring out how to, I think, get different personalities to make a team most effective. Like you can't have a bunch of robots. That's not, that's not how football is played. It's not played with a bunch of emotionless robots. And that's what it feels like they want sometimes. And I don't know if that's what they want, but that's what the product's on the field and the product from the sidelines, that's what it feels like. Hey, Ashley, just real quick. You're doing this from your apartment. I can see a little bit behind you. Do you need any photo frames? No. If I'm picking some not. up? I do no, not you're need good? any photo frames. No. Okay. If no. you guys need any, just maybe we can get a group order together. All right. Let's move on to Jacoby Brissett. And I read this as your fault. No, I'm just kidding. Uh what is he bad? Like, and, and Dan, we'll give you the final word on this because Dan was, you know, we were all like, is Jacoby Brissett better than Deshaun Watson? Is he Kevin Stefanski's ideal quarterback? And Dan was like, are we sure about this? And we were like, shut up, Dan. And then we got to like week three and we were like, oh, that's what Dan meant. Irie, how are we supposed to judge Jacoby Brissett? Can they win the ne- any of the next four games with him, it feels like he continues to do just enough to guarantee that they lose. Where are you with your guy, JB? Oh, God, your guy, JB. I never thought I'd see the day, but I guess it makes sense now. I do just want to add on before answering that. I, I probably wasn't as uh, loud like, like Dan was there, Mom, but I, too, was thinking, where are we going with this? And, you know saying if he could be the starting QB instead of Deshaun coming back. I'm thinking, what is – and then you came up with the whole Jacoba Lee and, and Jamabies and, and I've stuff. I've deleted that podcast, by the way. No, it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. <laughs> but re- regarding – so regarding answering the first question of could he lead this team to victory within any of the next four games, the quick answer is going to be yes. They have the Monday night game versus the Bengals. And then they had the bye week. Then they play Miami. They play Buffalo. They play Tampa Bay. Those are the next four games. Now, Cincinnati, the Super Bowl runner-up. Re- hmm? Reciting the schedule does not mean that Jacoby Brissett can win those games. Tell uh, me I'm, why he can win. We know what the schedule is. I'm, Tell I'm me why Jacoby Brissett point. is competent. We'll get to I, it now. Is he competent? <sighs> he is competent. Is he competent? Yes, for a uh, backup quarterback that has been involved in multiple uh, last minute moves regarding, you know, becoming the starting QB all of a sudden. And this um, SHIT show is probably nothing new for Stop him, but... spelling swear words. I have to delete it. Stop spelling swear words on a podcast. Tell me why Jacoby Brissett is competent. You think he is competent? He was 22 to 27. You're, you feel good. You're good with it. You're good. Oh, I, I, I am good to an extent. I know that. The result was not a W. I know he had zero interceptions, but he also had zero touchdowns. 
that's pretty much I think the epitome of Jacoby in a sense. And that's what that's what we already know though. This entire season, I don't think that we should be expecting him to be in a shootout and go off for 340 passing yards and, and whatnot. Anything after the regular 220, which we can argue is is making him look good because it's Stefanski's uh uh, offensive schemes in his system. Anything after that is a bonus. Him uh, digging and dodging tackles and sacks earlier with spins like Earl the Pearl earlier was a <laughs> bonus, but it does yeah. not guarantee leading your, uh, the, the unit to victory. So I'll give him the one win. I'll give him one, yes, that he can win within the next four games, pretty much because the Buccaneers suck, as you said earlier. Ashley, five sacks. And I do subscribe to the idea that sacks are quarterback stat. And as Mary Kay is pointing out, maybe Lamar's clock seemed a little bit off today, too. Well, he's Lamar. So, like, with his clocks broken, that he can still just get out of trouble. He was sacked three times. I thought the, the five sacks and one of them is leads to an incredibly costly fumble. I know his completion percentage is through the roof and he didn't throw any picks. But I felt there were moments there where he was doing like losing things that many other quarterbacks would not do. And again, that's not. I don't think that's what the Browns signed up for. It's like, all right, you got some pressure. Somebody missed a block or maybe whatever. Like, get get the ball out. Like, what are you doing? I I just thought those five sacks today, I thought they were bad, man. What do you think, Ashley? I mean, and we saw this a lot with, you know, I'm just going to bring up Baker Mayfield really quickly here because I think we saw that a lot with Baker, like, towards the end of last year where quarterbacks, I think the processing becomes really evident. And Jacoby Brissett is a decent game manager historically throughout his career, but he's not a quarterback that processes, you know, at an elite level because only elite level quarterbacks do that. I think it's going to be really striking next week when Joe Burrow comes to town, who is, you know, a great processor. It's going to be like night and day. I think in that regard, when these two offenses are on the field, but you're right. Like in that regard, sacks are certainly, you know, can be, I think considered a quarterback stat because sometimes it's not that you have a really bad O line. It's that you as the quarterback aren't seeing the game around you fast enough to make a decision in a timely manner. All right, Dan lobby, you are, and always have been the Jacoby Brissett voice of reason. The floor is yours. <laughs> okay. So here, here's why to me, it's really simple. Jacoby Brissett is 29 years old. He was drafted in 2016. The Patriots couldn't trade him fast enough. The Colts gave him a chance to start twice and were like, eh, we're good. We'd rather go with the corpse of Phillip Rivers and Carson Wentz. And Miami had him last year and it was kind of like, eh, okay, now nah, we're cool with Tua and Teddy Bridgewater. I like Jacoby Brissett and I think Jacoby Brissett is who he is. But anyone who expected, I, I just think it was unrealistic to expect Jacoby Brissett to have a career renaissance at age 29 in Cleveland with one wide receiver, um, a tight end who, by the way, has been has been good this year. And, you know, if you're not just going to just lean on that run game constantly. So that's all. And I, I think the important thing that we need to keep in mind isn't like, is this Jacoby Brissett's fault? I think it's important to make sure we don't let the Browns off the hook because Jacoby Brissett is playing. And what I mean by that is this isn't a situation where Andrew Luck retired two weeks before the season started. This is a situation where you traded for a guy 
facing 24 civil lawsuits who you knew was going to get suspended. Maybe not for 11 games at the time of the trade, but by probably June, you had a pretty good sense that this thing was not looking good. And you chose Jacoby Brissett to be the guy who was going to start for you. That's the choice they made. And like I said, in June, you started to get the vibe that, ooh, the NFL really wants to bring the hammer down. And all you had to do was read the CBA to know that the NFL was going to get pretty close to what it wanted. Um, so to me, it's it's not so much – I think it's really easy to say, well, we're just going to excuse everything that happens while Jacoby Brissett's the quarterback. But that's the part that I think is important to remember. The Browns chose this. They chose Jacoby Brissett knowing exactly who he is because he's 29 years old and he's been in the league since 2016. I, Dan, you, you used to have short hair, Dan, right? <laughs> and yes. then the pandemic came and you grew your hair out. Just and and I feel like you have you have grown out your podcast takes, man. Like I just <laughs> I want to be where you are right now so I can hug you. That was so well said because you are one thousand percent right. Jacoby Brissett's Jacoby Brissett. The Browns chose to do this to him and to their organization by putting him in this spot. And I think Andrew Barry was like, hey, Kevin, I got this guy for four games. Was like, Who's like, who is he? Who did you get? So I got Jacoby Brissett. He's like, oh, uh, uh, okay. Well, we think it'll be four games. Uh, I, I think that'll work. Okay. And then I was like, hey, it's six. He's like, oh, it's six. <sighs> okay. I think oh, we'll try to make it through six. And I was like, hey, it's 11. They were like, oh, my God. What are we going to do? 11 games of this guy. But you're right. They shouldn't have been shocked by that. But they have done this to themselves. Ari, what'd you want to say? Did you hey. want to comment on Dan's hair? And I and I shot it down. I it love the so hair. Good. I just, it's so right. It's one of the rightest things that's ever been said on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's not about Jacoby Brissett. It's about what the Browns chose to do. So Ari, let me ask you this. Did they make a mistake? Like, is that a mistake as we look at this now? And like, it feels like the organization itself is kind of splintering under the weight of failure while waiting for Deshaun Watson. Was this a mistake to put this 11 game thing on Jacoby Brissett or was there nothing else they could do and they just have to suck it up and try to live through it? To an extent it was, as we've spoken about since we all know of his abilities as a quarterback and him not being an elite quarterback, but him not being a worse. He's the epitome by the numbers of an average quarterback. But I, I do just want to ask this though, as, we, as, we, as we've talked about Jacoby in this season, you know, ever since then, it's just been Jacobania. That's another spin out on the name. How many games? I just want to ask this. There are two and five. Of the five losses, how many of those losses has, if not 100%, been on Jacoby? Majority of the percentage of that loss being on Jacoby. How many of the five losses? Anybody can answer. I don't know, two or three that like, like, I think that like there's many other quarterbacks who maybe would have found a way given the situation to help the Browns win. But also, as we've talked about on every podcast, the Browns then wind up putting themselves in a situation where they need, they need Jacoby Brissett to win them the game. But I think he's been bad when they needed him, but it's the Browns fault for putting him in a position where he's needed. What's your answer to your own question? My answer to my own, to my own question is there's never been a game that is as hundred percent fully been on him. There have been end game situations where he does terrible, where he has done a pick. There's no excuse for that. He deserves that blame of it. Yeah, it's about what's going on within the first 57 minutes of, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, first 57 of the minutes of that game that had led to that scenario. 
Are we really picking up Jacoby, expecting them to lead a 99-yard game-winning drive to the end of the game, even though that's what an NFL quarterback should do? No. We're thinking this, this is a quarterback, or at least that's what I assume Andrew Barry was thinking. This is a quarterback that can keep this team above water. Now, the 11 games, that's a whole different story. That's a whole different take. But I'm not going to sit here and just think it's all mostly on Jacoby and him being this average, unstable quarterback that will do just the bare minimum for this team. What about the fact that this coach staff is not using what they said earlier this season with RB1A, RB2, and RB1B with Chubb and Hunt properly? What about the fact that this uh, we've spoken more than enough about this defense? And if I have to go and ask Mike Free for another couple more to the questions and get a simple answer out of him, I'm going to burst. Is this, am I going crazy right now? No, you are. You are going. You are definitely going crazy, and we're witnessing it. But it's good. It's good because you are right. I feel like the Jacoby Brissett's failures have been brought out by the Browns leaning on him too hard, which we've talked about before, and you're exactly right. So, But also, he's made mistakes that are pretty intolerable. But so is Mike Prefer's unit again and again and again and again. The defense was good today. They've been bad at certain times. They just keep doing enough to lose. But also, Jacoby Brissett as much as we know exactly who he is also kind of has not lived up to the billing. Cause he's really making mistakes, but it's because they're stretching. They're putting too much pressure on him. Am, am I Jack Nicholson in the shining right now? Um, that's the one. Is that the one where uh, they live in Nebraska and are like, you, he's like a gentle, like a gentle middle-aged guy. I don't know which one the shining is. I'm just are you lost in a hedge maze at the moment. Am I lost in a hedge maze? The Browns are lost in a hedge maze. But at least they're screaming because they're they care that they're lost in a hedge maze. Quick break. We'll be back to finish up on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. All right, Doug, Dan, Ashley, and Irie. Ashley, this was the last question that I had written down. What do you think the Browns should do with their top ten pick? Should they take a quarterback? So I like tweeted that out, and I said like the I said like the Browns were in the running for CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, and everybody was like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "Okay." Come on, you could be. We could be sarcastic on Twitter, Dan. The real question here is: as Wait, they, I don't get a real question. No, well, well, you, you were like, you, you, I, you thought I was trying to trick you, so I was going to see if Dan, I was going to go trick Dan instead. But okay. I'll trick you. It's a problem. <clears throat> they have gone all in, and like they're having a terrible season, and it feels like they're not going to make the playoffs. And by the way, they're not going to get anything out of it because they don't have a first round pick or a third round pick, right? Because of this. Watson trade. And it's just a reminder, like they have this young core that probably needs to be propped up by a few more veterans, but they are not really going to be adding to it anytime soon. They are who they are, except the $230 million franchise quarterback is coming, Ashley. And that's going to change a lot, but it's not going to change the special teams. It's not going to change the defense. It's not going to change the play calling. It's not going to change. It's going to change the receivers some. Right. As our old friend Scott Patsko said a million times, Deshaun will elevate the level of play of these mediocre receivers. But that, you know, it's October and the Browns have a bad record. You go to the mock drafts. I went to the mock drafts today just to entertain myself. It's a reminder. They are in with this. This is who they are for the next three years. So if there are cracks in this that aren't all magically fixed by the return of a $230 million franchise quarterback. I don't know how else they're going to fix it. Now I know they have cap room and they do have cap room. They're also going to have more guys. They have to sign, but it's just, it is a reminder, Ashley, that like they can't, they're not going to have a bunch of high draft picks to go magically acquire for more young talent. 
Yeah, I think the days of, you know, the draft being like Christmas in Cleveland, if the season is bad, are over because of this. Like you said it, they went all in. Deshaun Watson isn't going to fix all these problems, but he better fix a lot of these problems for multiple reasons. Number one, you sold the farm to get him. Number two, all of the controversy that you created by going to get somebody who had so many sexual misconduct allegations against them. Like he better fix a lot because you basically sold your soul to make this deal happen because what was the conversation we had before the season started? Like his tenure in Cleveland will basically be a failure if they don't get a Super Bowl while he's here. Like, because this contract is so historic because of everything they gave up to do it because of all the controversy they brought upon themselves and the fans and everything else. Like there's a lot riding on this and it's a lot of pressure. And like you said, there are certain problems on this team where like special teams is not good right now. When we talk about if the Browns are bad, it's, it's not good in that phase of the game um, defense. You know, I think, I'm I'm still kind of partial, like, are these pieces going to come together, like, by that point in the season a little bit more? Just because we did see it last year, I do think, you know, it looks like they, they played better today. It looks like they maybe figured some things out, which they also really did last year in that first game against the Ravens. It looked like that's when they really started to gel. Now, it shouldn't take half a season or whatever for your defense to do that. Um, but I do think that is more of a possibility. And then I think on offense, there are plenty of things that Deshaun fixes just by the kind of player he is, but he's going to have to like, it's, it, it's like, you know, there's so many things that are a disaster right now. And this deal is just so huge. Um, it, it does have to kind of live up to that in a lot of ways, I think. I would just like to say the film that I was referencing previously was about Schmidt. Jack Nicholson plays an actuary in Omaha, Nebraska. And I got that briefly mixed up with The Shining. Irie, I apologize. Irie, when you watch this have you, team, never, have you never seen The Shining? No, I've seen The Shining. There's, a, like a, there's a, somebody sure? riding a bike in the hallway. I've seen it. We can, know. This is it's, what it, we're really like talking about. I much prefer like middling dramas set in the Midwest. That's kind of more my speed. <laughs> I actually I feel, like, I feel like Browns fans are the groundskeeper and the Browns are just Jack Nicholson. Oh, let's work on this. Can we can we flesh this out? Can we apply characters to all of that, this? That sounds like a bye week. That sounds like yeah. a bye week. So no, no, no. I just okay. So to just answer this one question real quick before Doug has this, who are the two girls then down the hall? Who are they? The two twins. Who are they? Yeah, Sashi <laughs> and Dorsey. No, I don't know. This um, is a Irie, yes. when you watch this team, do you think they're talented enough? Like, do you think, like, do you think, because his, I do think there are some questions creeping in about, like, we, we wind up talking about the talent, the, like, theoretical talent of this roster a lot. Super Bowl roster, Super Bowl roster. And are, is it? Are they that talented? You know, Denzel Ward was still out today. We know that. When you watch it, do you still feel like there's a lot of talent there? Or are you starting to question that? I still feel there's talent. Yeah, I do. The resume, I think, I think the accolades, the resume of some of these guys have probably spoken, you know, given that bit, that uh, impression a bit more than what we see right now on the field. But yeah, we, we see flashes of, of there being talent. It just, it, we just see the, more of the negative because they're two and five compared to, oh, well, you actually made a good play there. Oh, well, you actually saw, oh, so that's maybe that's the reason why they drafted them. We see the other side compare more so to that. Um, 
but you're not going to win a Super Bowl with talent. You're going to win it with actual team football, uh, which we be- I've barely seen right now. And uh, now we're here on- with this state of the Browns. Just to reset, Detroit Lions one and five. Houston Texans, who own the Browns' first round pick, one four and one. The Browns, the Saints, the Carolina Panthers, the Denver Broncos, the Jacksonville Jaguars, all two and five as we sit here right now. Dan, I do feel like in the end it comes back around to some of the stuff we talked about off the off the top, and it's not about firing people. I, I, I don't know, but I, I do feel like that this is not a well coached team. What, however, you want to define that, whether it's on Sunday, whether it's during the week. They're underachieving. That's the word, you know, that you sort of brought into this discussion when you jumped in. And I think, as Ashley said, that's a good word for this team. They've played a bunch of close games and they won the first one against Carolina and they've lost all of them since. There's nothing insurmountable in any of these games that, that you know, other than getting blown out by the Patriots, like it kind of was there. And, you know, sometimes the defense is giving stuff up. Today, the defense played well and then they couldn't get it done offensively it feels like oh like i thought kareem hunt let's get kareem hunt back involved in the passing game again a ghost dan a ghost no kareem hunt this is a guy are they wasting i was going to do something else dan are they wasting kareem hunt like what what's happening here what why why is he not a factor in the last two games offensively I, I don't know. And and he got that touchdown today, but didn't do a lot else. They had the Chubb hunt backfield for like two plays on the first drive. And then it went away. And I just, again, nothing against a guy like Pharaoh Brown, but I'd rather see Nick Chubb on the field than Pharaoh Brown. <laughs> you know, it's, it's little things like that. Lance Riceland records a segment on our pod every week. And the thing that, that always, we always come back to is players over plays. And I feel like sometimes they lose sight of that. As far as the whole Deshaun discussion goes, I thought we had a great Ham K question last week that was that that basically made the point: Would you rather have Deshaun Watson or a top five pick this year? And I think the answer is, assuming he's still Deshaun Watson, you'd rather have Deshaun Watson because that's the type of player you would want to take in the top five. So there is a world where he comes back and he just rescues this whole thing because that's why you traded three first round picks for him, and that's why you paid him two hundred thirty million dollars. Like Ashley said, that's why you put up with all the crap you have to put up with from the outside. But that's, I think one of the disappointing things this season is it just feels like that's kind of what this team is waiting for, for Deshaun to come rescue them. And I'm seeing other teams win with lesser talent than the Browns. They're finding ways to win. And that doesn't mean you have to go beat Buffalo because you're not going to beat Buffalo. You're going to lose that game by 25 points. And that's fine because that's the Buffalo Bills and they're the best team in football and they might not lose another game. But it does feel like the Browns are in this mode where it's just like we're going to go out there and do what we do. And if it works, great. If not, it'll work when Deshaun's here. But that, that's sort of where this team's at right now. And and I think Kareem Hunt, it's like like Deshaun Watson makes that throw to Farrell Brown last week on the second play of the game probably. But that's a silly play call with Jacoby Brissett. You should have Kareem Hunt on the field. Yeah, I'd rather have the pick. I'd rather have the, the first round pick that they didn't have last draft and the first round pick this coming draft. If if I were the Browns, I'd go back and do it again. I wouldn't do it. I mean, I, I'd go back. But if Deshaun, this, if Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback and doesn't get in any more trouble, that's, that's better than any player you're going to get with a top five pick. Well, well, 
Well, I mean, you guys already had that discussion. I mean, this yeah. is a good quarterback draft. Um, and also because I do think we're maybe seeing, I don't know that the Browns are who we thought they were in terms of the overall franchise that you are adding the quarterback to, to get them over the top. And now there's nothing holding you back from a Super Bowl. All that guaranteed money, all the draft picks you gave up, all the current controversy, all the risk was not just to get a franchise quarterback, but to get a franchise quarterback for a team that in every other way was absolutely ready to win. And I'm questioning right now from the GM to the coach to the makeup of this current roster, if they're actually ready to win, which then makes the decision to get a quarterback like that different to me because the context, I think my context through these seven games has changed at least some. I'm not saying they're irredeemable, but I thought they would handle this better. And so that affects my view of, would you do the Watson thing over again? Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to get a frame for everybody. I still have to get a frame for the Carson Wentz thing. I have to get for Ellis still. So I'm going to get a big frame for that. And then we'll all get little frames. What we really should do, we should get a group photo. And then we can get that, put that in the frame. And then um, that'll make everybody feel better. The Browns are two and five, but most of the people here don't think they're bad. They're just underachieving. And so they will do their very best because the Cleveland Browns, we might lose, but we care enough to scream. For Ashley Bastock, for Irie Harris, for Dan Lobby, for Mary Kay Cabot. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the Orange Brown Talk Podcast. <laughs>